A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, this is the Redbox Podcast. I'm Matt Jolly, bringing you the best of my Times radio show. You can listen live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1, on your DAB radio, on your smart speaker, or on your Times radio app, if you just can't get enough politics without the boring bits. Coming up today, it's back for the first time in, what, seven weeks. PMQ's Unpatch returns. Tim Shipman joins me to pause the action in real time as Keir Starmer and Rishi Sunak go at it. Yes, there was a lot of talk about concrete. Lara Spirit rounds up the best of the rest for us. At the moment, we'll have the columnist panel, but what we thought we'd do to mark what is an extraordinary anniversary is that every day for the next 46 days, we are going to prize open the door of what we like to call the Trust Fen Calendar. So I can see um, Therese Coffey, the new Deputy Prime Minister, the first big decision she's going to have to make is whether or not to go back indoors. She's consulting colleagues at the moment. Oh, it's Therese Coffey's ordered umbrellas. The umbrellas are coming out. The umbrellas are coming out. Oh, nice clear umbrellas. Very nice. Oh, now it is absolutely... I think we, the technical language will be absolutely f***ing down. Absolutely, it's coming like this is this is actually ridiculous how heavily it's coming. <laughs> it's actually ridiculous. Okay, uh, this is bad. The, the lectern's gone away again now, and uh, and so's yeah. All the people outside over the level have gone away again. Are we going to have to get my body out of there? Now we've waited for quite a while for the prime minister. The good news is uh, there's now someone at the lectern. Uh, the bad news is it's a black bin bag. We can only assume that right now Liz Truss is sitting at a lay-by somewhere uh, with the engine off while the windows get all steamed up. Presumably listening to Times Radio. Why does it always rain on me? Is it because I lied when I was 17? Why does it always rain on me? Right, bang on five o'clock. The uh, lectern is now back out. They're giving it a dry off. Oh, I think we're on. The, uh, the bollards are down. The, uh, the bollards have blocked the roading down, and so is Robert Preston's. So that can only be one thing. Uh, the new Prime Minister's on the way. I can see Hugh Edwards squatting. Dermot Murnahan is squatting. There, there is a helicopter hovering overhead. I really hope for all concern that the weather holds off. Applause there from, uh, I assume, the Tory MPs at the far end of Danish Street. 
And now applause from the staff at this end, outside number 11. I can't work out if it's raining again or if it's just the water coming off the trees. But here she comes, uh, folder underhand, Liz Truss at the lectern. We have huge reserves of talent, of energy and determination. I am confident that together we can ride out the storm. And we'll open door number two tomorrow. Right, up next, it's time to take a look at the day's news, of course, with Alibut. The Columnists with Alibert, Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton on Times Radio. And for the first time in absolutely ages, we're all together. We're in the studio. Morning. I've missed it. Hello, Alice. How are you? I'm very well. Nice summer. Yeah, I'm in Devon, actually. You're down in Devon? Yeah, that's why you see me on the... I have been, but I've been So just as you finally got some good weather in Devon... Well, back in London, I know. Back in London. Where it's too hot. Robert's always here. Yeah, I am, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Hello. Hello. Um, It's good to have you both here. It's nice, isn't it? Yeah, it's nice. Now, here's a question. When you were down in Devon, Alice, did you see your local MP? Well, my old local MP, I actually doorstepped because he is the tractor porn <gasps> MP. Of course. It's Tiverton. <laughs> so I had to go and see Neil Parrish, who was in his dressing gown. Uh, so I have seen Ooh. him on occasions, actually. Was it, it, was it, was it appropriately nice knotted or agape? Oh, no, no, no. It was all very decent. Um, so I do, I sort of, I've met him a couple of times, um, but not really since. No, I don't really no. well, you hang out with him. Yeah, I've met Meg Hillier, yeah. uh, Hackney South and Shoreditch. Uh, fine, fine woman, fine MP, chair of the Public Accounts Committee, I think. Yeah, is she still? Yeah, uh, great servant of Parliament, and yeah, I met her not in uh, as a, as not a in, civilian. No, yeah, as a civilian. Yeah, yeah not yeah. in a not in a not in a journalistic capacity. Uh, I'm struggling to think when, but I've definitely met her. I met my council. I met some councillors as well locally. Doing so litter, the, re- the litter reason, reason I'm asking is because of all the hoo-ha over Nadine Doris, and people say, oh, "I've never seen her. I've never seen her." Um, we asked you, Gov, to poll. Have you ever met your current MP? Um, and basically, it's 13% overall said they had. The rest yeah. of they hadn't. But there's almost no difference between parties. So in Conservative seats, it's 12%. Labour seats, it's 14 yeah. Lib Dem seats, 14 SNP, 16 Other, 13 So it's basically the same. Yeah. This idea that, I don't know, the Lib Dems are really good at knocking on people's doors. It's basically exactly the same. Um, but then we asked, is your MP... Any good? Thirty-three uh, percent said good. Thirty-one percent said bad. Thirty-six percent said don't know. So it's all right. split three ways. But there's quite a big. It, get, it goes up with age. You're more likely to say your MP's doing a good job if you're older. Maybe right. if you have more interactions with them because you've got the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what really struck me: London, forty-seven percent said their MP was doing a good job. In Wales, uh, just twenty-one percent. So that's the biggest difference. Um, men are more likely to say their MPs doing a bad job than women. Mm. But again, between parties, uh, Conservative thirty three percent said good job, thirty two for Labour, thirty one for Lib Dem, thirty two SNP. So no great difference between party, but it seems to be age and basically the MPs in Wales seem to be rubbish, Alice. Yeah, they're not opening up fates, are they? No, going to enough schools. But then London, don't they have so many fates in London? That's in, it's quite a high figure, isn't it? Yeah, uh, I. I guess maybe people in London are just maybe they're more happy with their lives in general, possibly. 
Are there more? I don't know. Is there more? Are there more marginal seats if you get out into? The, I don't know how big the London area is for you guys. Mm. If you get out into the donut, there might be quite yeah. a lot of those contestants. Yeah, this is not about meeting. This is about doing a good job. Oh, doing a good job. Yeah. But but there might be yeah. a, 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 a correlation between yeah. you know. More yeah, I think actually it's more that if I was a female MP now, you get so much abuse online. I think they're more nervous going out. So I think before we had online and Twitter and mm. you know people were actually more. And sort of less worried the MPs about going and meeting people. Now I think they're mm. quite nervous, and actually there have been so many incidents well, and David, deaths and that I think yeah. they yeah. are probably. I would be quite. But also, you know, think... you know, there's one who wears a stab vest. I mean, mm. it is. It, it's not as easy as it used to be, is it? No, thirteen percent actually isn't bad. I mean, that's sort of one in eight people. Yeah. In a constituency of what sixty or seventy thousand. I mean, are you saying that's a low figure? Because I don't think it is a low figure. No, I was. I was more struck just how universal it yeah. was, given. You'd have, you know, because YouGov could do it by, they, knew, they know where the people mm. are answering the poll and they can cross-check that. I against. know there was, a, a, MPs always talk about the personal vote and it's, I always find it a bit tragic because I think there was a survey done a while back which says an, an MP's personal vote is probably worth about 500 votes. Yeah. I.e. I, whether they, you know, you can be the best constituency MP in the world and it's, and it's not going to save your seat against a national swing unless you're in a, unless you've got the majorities under, yeah, yeah. under 500, which is sort of tragic, really. Although five hundred uh, now makes difference, doesn't it? It yeah. could do it, but but it, it, that was all. I mean, I definitely remember the run up yeah. to the twenty fifteen election. The Lib Dems kept saying, "Oh no, don't believe the headline mm. polls because where we've got an MP, we're dug in locally, yeah. and, uh, and it doesn't matter." Ultimately, you can't change. No, the, but you can see why people believe it because if you meet five hundred people that say you're great, you think that's a lot of people. It is a lot of people, but it doesn't really matter in the great scheme of things. It's marginal, but if yeah. there's a big yeah. national thing yeah. going on. And now they've yeah. got the boundary changes, I think that's going to be different too, because they've got to get a whole new set of people on board. Yeah. Mm. Um, well, I just looked it up, actually. Last year, June last year, they uh, YouGov polled, have you ever seen or met the Queen in real life? And 19% said they'd seen or met the Queen. Right. But she was extraordinary, wasn't oh, she? I mean, that she was, was her yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. But that's basically doing the work of 650 MPs. Yeah, yeah but she was around for 70 years as well. well there is also that. Yeah. I don't know what the poll, I don't know what the same figure is for, 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 the, for the king. Uh, anyway, it was interesting. What 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 we actually look for in an MP, and actually, do you want them to just pointing at potholes, or is it about yeah. going into Parliament and holding the government to account, or running the government? You want them pointing at potholes, do you? I think local people do. Yeah, potholes they say are. they do. Well, they want them to do both, don't they? Yeah, yeah. The and problem is that your local constituencies are half want one and half want the other. So, yeah. you know, like Stonehenge, when they say, you know, half the constituents want to have the, the bypass and half of them yeah. don't. And you're constantly juggling that. It's not like all your constituents usually want one thing. Although yeah, I'd yeah, say with yeah. something like sewage, they probably do. Yeah, and we can agree on that. Yeah. Uh, talking of sewage, have you seen the picture? There's a picture on of... The... Uh, this obviously doesn't even work putting it on the radio, but it probably, probably have to issue some sort of warning if we uh, release it on the radio. So there's an uh, MP called Ben Everett... Let me oh, see yeah. if I can find it. So he's um, uh, he, well, he's a wild swimmer, and he obviously uh, wanted to raise the you know the profile of actually the rivers near him are all very yeah. good. Um, but posted online some extraordinary pictures of himself. Uh, pose here we are. Milton Keynes MP shows off impressive abs mm. as opposed his <laughs> topless and wild swimming spot. Let's have a look. He sounds Isn't like that? the next Matt Hancock. Goodness me! No, he isn't the next Matt Hancock. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that is impressive. He's probably holding. I mean, he's holding it in, but he's got. Yeah. He hasn't got much to hold in. Yeah. Look at this one coming out. Of, coming out of the water like. Oh Daniel my goodness! Craig. So he's actually yeah. doing any work. And he's I, doing that. He's doing the arm up thing, which yeah, makes just you, like, that makes your bicep. Just look. Like, yeah. Oh, I'm just really, yeah. no, really concerned about sewage. That's what I do in my podcast. <laughs> makes your bicep look really big. Does it? Yeah. Yeah, I don't do that. Yeah. Anyway, maybe that's what people want. 
That's what people want. Have you seen yeah. your MP topless? That's what we should poll next. Anyway, we should probably <laughs> move on from that. Uh, Alice, let's talk about your columns today. It's really interesting this, about this weight loss drug, Wegovy, we which I just can't say without we thinking go. of a very small Michael Gove. Wegovy, But your point is that basically drugs companies are going to make loads of money from this. And actually, it might be better if we put more. We, we tried to put more effort into stopping people becoming fat in the first place. Well, it's not just that. It's just there's this sort of slightly extraordinary scenario you get when you've got for 50 years all these big, big food companies making vast amounts of money, and even more recently, like Deliveroo, and just all trying to pump us full of food. And then now you've got another big farmer coming in and saying, "Look, we'll actually we'll pop you basically, and you'll be thin again, and then you'll just go up and down yo-yo." And these companies are making huge amounts of money, while the rest of us end up having to, well, the NHS has to pick up the bill and we're, you know, either too fat, too thin or feeling pretty bad about ourselves. And and if you look at the company in Denmark, it actually, it stopped Denmark going into recession. It's the yeah. biggest yeah, company yeah, yeah. now in Europe almost. And it is the biggest company by, you know, te- you know literally miles, I think, in in Denmark. So it's quite weird for the Danish. They've got this one yeah. company that is overtaking their entire lives. And yet they're one of the skinniest countries in Europe. Yeah. Despite all that. But then... But, but then, but then <laughs> I'm Lego. <laughs> I'm not eating Lego. No, I know. I just no. thought I'd come up with another Danish product. Yeah, some of the stereotype. Yeah. Do you think it's a good idea, this drug? No, I think it's a terrible idea. Yeah. I do. I think uh, I take a very, very old-fashioned view about this, uh, partly because of my own experience is that uh, you... Uh, it's not so... I think it's not so much about willpower. It's about just shifts in your diet where you, you, you feel, uh, for reasons of vanity or self-respect or health, that you don't want to be overweight... And you can then, in a long-term, sensible fashion, gradually reduce your weight to kind of where it should be. And I think I'm convinced that 99% of the population know the, 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 the education argument. I think is just is a bit of a red herring, and as is the poverty argument. Yeah. I think most people uh, can afford to buy healthy food, and most people know what is healthy and what isn't. Uh, they just don't do it. Yeah, but the willpower needed now, I think, is so phenomenal because the companies are up against you. So anything that you do, like, you know, McDonald's are very, very good at selling their Mm. products, as are the supermarkets, as are you're constantly being bombarded with food. And I think that's quite hard, particularly as a child, when you haven't got that. It's hard, but it's not impossible. And the the child, the parents can direct the child. I mean... uh, There is also a psychological (laughs) thing. If you're you're struggling and having a tough time, Mm -hmm. you're probably not going on holiday. Uh, You know, there there aren't many treats in life. But having a packet, you know, buying a packet of biscuits, having a drink at the end of the day. Yeah, I know. It's like, well, John, John Reed said that about smoking, didn't he? So yeah. He said one of the... Uh, and I, th- I, can, I take that point. Yeah. Uh, but it but is I like think, smoking. We made it yeah. easier not to smoke. Yes. So I think you have to... You can't make it easier not to eat because yeah. you have to eat, but you I mean, can make it easier to eat You're down better. now to about 13% of the adult population in Britain smoke. Mm. Yeah. Uh, just after the war, I think it was something like close on 60%. And that's taxation and, I guess, degree of education and, and, and putting it into the, 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 the periphery of yeah, social yeah. acceptance. And you can do that. You could do the same. I suppose, actually, you could even do the me same. saying that, I've just realised... You, be you will be left... being programmed to yeah. think, like, treat means stuff that's bad for you. Yeah. It's not like, you know, you could treat yourself and eat a punnet of strawberries yeah. if you want Yes, to. and you can. That's what I'm talking about. You can shift your yeah. you can shift But your it is really difficult and I think a lot of parents find it hard when they're exhausted and they yeah. haven't got much cash and it is just easier to give your kids an ice cream yeah, and yeah. I think that's what's hard and that's why people are going to have a Zen pickle they're going to take with yeah, but... because it makes it easier and I... And I 
So I can understand where they're coming from. I just think the companies have got to step up I think you, too. a treat is a treat, i.e. it's rare. So mm. you give your kids an ice cream once a week and you go take them to McDonald's once a month. Yeah. You don't do it every day. That's not a treat, that's indulgence. Yeah. Uh, and then, I and think, then, and then if, if at the back of your mind is like, well, it's all one, because we get really fat, have one of these mm. jabs. Mm. But you can have them forever. Like yeah, so that's the thing. biggest problem is that the NHS said they're yeah. only going to do it for two years. So that's yeah. why you're going to start doing this way, you know, exactly what yeah, they don't yeah, want you to do, is you'll yeah, be yeah. yo-yoing up and down. And then yeah. it's really difficult. But on the other hand, the NHS have got to do something because 27% of people in this country are now obese. So they yeah. have well, got... Well, yeah, and 63%, if you include overweight, mm. are either overweight... Yeah. Or obese. I mean, it's but a you real just got really good willpower, basically. Issue. Problem, you? But it's not so much about it's a. There's that, but it's also just about shifting what you regard as yeah, as, yeah, as, yeah. as enjoyable to eat. Not I think. Just, yeah. Yeah. Because when if we're really honest with ourselves, you go for a you, McDonald's. I mean, I do that maybe once a year if I'm on the road somewhere. And do you? Re, do you, it's a hit. But do you really, really? Would yeah, you yeah. honestly say you enjoy it? I'm not sure you do. Yeah. I'm not sure you do. Uh, good at eating tomatoes straight from the garden. Or in a sandwich. Oh, yeah. Or in a sandwich. Yeah, unless um, you get garroted or something, don't you? Now, I need to I ask know. you both. Uh, yesterday on the show, uh, Danny Finkelstein, I know we're both familiar with his work. He was yeah, on the show. The and we were talking about Liz Truss's lecture, because a year ago today, Liz oh, Truss yeah. became publicist, uh, with her Jenga lecture. John Stevens in the mirror has been trying to find it. Danny said we should put it in a museum of political fiascos. Great. So on the show on Friday, we're going to yes. open, officially yeah, yes. open the oh, museum. Marvelous. What would you like to put in the Museum of Political Fiasco? I would like that suitcase. You know the suitcase that went in and out of number 10 with a drink in? With the wine oh, in it. Yeah, I'd like yeah, yeah that's nice. And yeah. then maybe we could do the cake as well. We could have a little corner, basically, with a broken swing. <laughs> yeah. You know, the karaoke. We could do <laughs> a, whole a whole theme going on there, yeah. couldn't we? That could be like the cafe, yeah. couldn't it? Instead of a, yeah. Maybe instead of having a tray and moving along in the cafe, you have to put everything that you want in a suitcase and then wheel it up to the till, I like, like they did in the co-op. This isn't very nice, particularly from, from, a, from a, a, a aesthetic point of view. Remember Tony Blair's sweat-soaked blue shirt <laughs> at the, when he uh, when he mistakenly wore a, a blue a blue rather than a white, white shirt. shirt. Yeah, yeah, it's very risky for, for a party conference speech, and uh, and then did his big, big yeah, yeah. thing at the end with his arms up, and uh, it was absolutely saturated. That can go in like the fashion room. Yeah. Yeah, we've had a few yeah. suggestions of that. And you could of... get like an odor, like a, like in the cinema where you get sort of smells and Scratch stuff. and sniff. That's the Tony one. Blair's yeah. Yeah. shirt. Yeah. And yeah. you need to sell pasties, don't you, for George Osborne? Yeah, those pasties. pasty tanks. And, and maybe all, all come from the, the, the shop at Leeds train station, which didn't exist. Could you get a bit of the stage from the Sheffield Rally? Yeah, that's Because that'd be all right, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and Theresa May's one. When <laughs> where, they did... where was Neil Kinnock from? <laughs> it was Geordie. Who knows? He said, all right. Didn't he? That was it. Have I not got that right? I don't know. It's more the international. Whoa, right! Yeah, right. yeah. It was like that. It was longer. No. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and he said it. And in fact, he said it twice. Yeah. Even though your people's toes were already curling. Curling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I love. My hair's just. I love watching it. Oh, oh, I love it. I love it. That's definitely going. Or maybe the flags because yeah. they had all, loads they had all of those flags. flags. Yeah. Maybe we could get one of the yeah. flags from there. There's definitely a. Maybe, well, maybe Michael Foot's donkey jacket, which, he, Mike, which, which wasn't donkey a donkey, which wasn't, wasn't a donkey jacket. It was a <laughs> pea coat or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good. Well, if you've got suggestions that you of things that you think we should put in the Museum of Political Fiascos on Friday, email me, matt at times.radio. Matt at times.radio. And I think Patrick Maguire's going to join me as we take a walk around the Museum of uh, <laughs> Theatre of the Mind. Uh, we'll do that on uh, on Friday. Now, Alice, uh, you're, you're familiar with the, with the countryside. <laughs> Uh, I am. Uh, Keir Starmer has been writing for Country Life, uh, setting out his plans for the countryside. There's a, there's a photo of him standing, surrounded by hay and cows, looking completely natural in his 
best blue jeans. So this does happen, doesn't it, each time? But actually, I think Labour have got a point now. I think they are yeah. becoming the party of the countryside. And they all none of them ever have any wellies, do they? Apart from Nigel yeah. Farage, he was quite good, actually. Yeah. Bizarrely. Like, well, there was like some well, well, I think they might have been on the same He had some waders, didn't he? He, had, he turned up and he's like, his own dirty waders. Yeah. And yeah. David Cameron yeah. and his sort of best new hunters. Um, well, uh, can Labour actually claim to be the party of the farmers in the countryside? Abby Kay is Deputy Editor at Farmers Weekly. Enjoys now. Hi, Abby. What's your assessment on how well Keir Starmer goes down in the countryside? Well, it's a tough one, really. He's saying a lot of the right things. So he's recognised the ways in which the Conservatives are unpopular. So we've had trade deals which will, by the government's own admission, reduce our own agricultural output. There's been delays to the introduction of the new farm support scheme. And in some cases there, there's low payment rates that have the potential to cause real damage to the sector. And he gave a speech to NFU conference last year, the National Farmers Union conference, which was really polished and it went down really well. You could have heard a pin drop. He had the, the audience absolutely captivated, actually. And he made the really important point that food security is national security. And he's absolutely right there. You know, we're only ever three meals away from monarchy. But the problem for me is once you scratch the surface, there's not actually very much underneath. There's no detail. So we had a little huddle at the National Farmers Union conference um, where I pressed him on this food security is national security point and said, well, are you going to increase the agriculture budget then if it's that important? Didn't get any response to that. <laughs> I'm also hearing that the manifesto is really likely to be top line heading into the general election because they're pretty bruised from previous defeats where the detail was unpicked. So mm. really, what are farmers actually voting for? It's just warm words at this point. I mean, warm, that, that, yeah. that, that, that very specific I've talking about there is the is the general problem, isn't it, with the Labour pitch? Yeah, of course, but he's in opposition. That's why he's, yeah. he's not going to give any hostages to fortune. I mean, I, I remember going around uh, with Blair in the 2005 election, uh, going to Gloucestershire, I think it was, and the relationship there, the view there the Labour towards the Labour Party was absolutely toxic. I mean, it was mm -hmm. it was the height of countryside alliance. It was after post yeah, yeah, post yeah. foot and mouth, which had just delayed the election actually, and I think. The countryside, insofar in as you can generalise about the countryside, has had a pretty jaundiced view of Labour ever since. I've seen it as the party of the metropolitan yeah. elite and so forth. And I think if, if uh, Starmer is at least able to neutralise that or change it back a little bit, it's interesting what Abby was saying there about the conference last year. That it was, I mean, there was a time where the Labour leader wouldn't have gone to the NFU yeah, conference, yeah. I don't think. So that's interesting. And it's interesting that they're doing it at all. I mean, that sounds like a, a grown-up party preparing for government, doesn't it? The and poll-wise, they've done really well. So yeah. the Tories are doing appallingly. So I yeah. went to that conference and actually I was I was really interested how much it shifted in the last yeah, five yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. You can see that the countryside are beginning to look for someone else. I mean, yeah. whether you'll get a large enough swing in some of them, but... but... I suppose also as well, I mean, they took Selby. I mean, that was in, you know, that... That's pretty rural. Yeah. Descent of all seat. yeah. But it, well, I suppose also, Abby, as well, in some of those, just, just the idea of cementing the get the Tories out message... Yeah. Yeah. Might mean that the Lib Dems do well in yeah. some of those areas, but just the sort of wherever you live in the country, do what you need to do to get the Tories out. If you can land that as a message, to detoxify the brand as well. Um, that makes yeah. a difference as well. Um, how does yeah. how, how does Rishi Sunak go down with your readers, Abby? Um, not great. Uh, as I say, the Conservatives <laughs> Please have don't got a great swear. record at the moment. <laughs> No, I can, say, I can remain polite. Um, and I do think that Labour have done a good job in capitalising on that and pointing out the areas where the Conservatives have gone wrong. But, you know, that that image problem is really, really key. They do have a problem. Mm. People in the countryside yeah. have long memories. They remember the disastrous way foot and mouth mm. disease was handled and that feeling that rural culture was under attack yeah. in the Blair era. 
and they've got some policies now, like they've got this right to roam. Um, they've got a steadfast refusal to um, continue with the badger call. And those are two policies that play well yeah. to urban audiences, you know. But they're not going nice to play well in the world, yeah, yeah. Like. Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton there, and you can read them both in The Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next is PMQ's Unpacked. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to the Redbox Podcast now. Time for this. PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio. Unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. Order, order. I call Matt Chorley and Tim Shipman. And Tim Shipman, the Sunday Times chief political commentator, is here. I was trying to work out, it's seven weeks since we were last here, but was it even him? He missed a few towards the end of last term, didn't he, Rishi Sinek? Uh, he missed quite a few. I think he did the last one, didn't he? And did all right, actually. But um, there's quite a lot of problems piling quite up. It's a lot of then. problems. And uh, I think everyone in Westminster spoke to someone in the Labour Party who says you literally couldn't have made up a row which suited their purposes better than this one. No, nothing works in Britain. Um, public services are falling apart. The government are useless. Um, and some of its ministers have taken leave of their senses. Uh, they've got a sort of um, uh, belief that they're doing brilliantly when they're not. Um, it's all there, isn't it? Um, but, whisper it quietly, that presents a little challenge to the Labour Party if we're going to try and make this PMQs something other than um, just a massacre for the government. Um, it, it's it's a sort of wide-open goal with a goalkeeper with his knees tied together um, and a ball, you know, made of explosives. Um, <laughs> is Keir Starmer going to destroy Rishi Sunak or is he going to punt it wide and blow his own foot off? Um Neil Kinnock got into all sorts of trouble in the past um, uh, when he had what were perceived to be open goals that he was unable to, to sort of slot the ball away. And actually, Ed Miliband, Jeremy Corbyn, there was one I remember, when Ian Duncan Smith resigned his work and pension secretary, Jeremy Corbyn didn't mention it Yeah, I mean, uh, at PMQs. I don't think there's much danger of that. And I enjoyed our lunch so much, Matt, that I'm going to bet you that the school <laughs> concrete scandal comes is, up again. That is not a bet that I'm willing to take. Uh, yeah, uh, listeners might remember that uh, earlier in the summer, um, uh, Tim lost a bet. He bet that Keir Starmer would definitely mention Boris Johnson joined PMQs. And then he didn't. So we went for lunch instead. Uh, so I'm trying to trick again. And you can listen back to that on the Redbox podcast, The Art of the Political Lunch. Uh, and very nice it was too. I'm not taking that bet today though. It's interesting though, Keir Starmer this morning has been repeatedly asked what what would be the Labour plan? And he said he would not engage in sticking plaster politics. Yeah. What about not necessarily breeze block politics? Yeah. Yeah, and that, um, you know, that gives a little bit of hope to the people who are currently um, slotting uh, Rishi Sunak into his suit of armour, strapping on the metal plates and saying, don't worry, boss, it'll all be fine. You get yourself out there. It'll all be fine. Don't you worry. Um, but he does feel a bit like a man in a sort of suit of armour who's about to face a, a lightsaber 
Laura. If I was kissed, I might be attempting to just ask about something else. Totally different. At least to just begin with. Throw just yeah, throw yeah. him. Yeah. yeah. See what happens. Well, let's find out then. We are live on Times Radio, live on the Times Radio YouTube channel. We will pause the action as we go along to explain what is happening. Uh, let's go live to the House of Commons. This is Keir Starmer on question number one. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I join the Prime Minister in congratulating the Lionesses and his comments about Sergeant Saville? I think we all speak for the whole House when we speak on that subject. I'd also like to extend the warmest welcome to our new Labour member for Selby and Ainsty. So one of the by-elections. He's already made history for the Labour Party by overturning the largest Tory majority ever in a by-election. And I'd also welcome the honourable members for Uxbridge and South Ryslip, Somerton and Frome. One Tory, one Mr. Speaker. The roof of Singlewell Primary School in Gravesend collapsed in May 2018. Thankfully, it happened at the weekend and no children were injured. The concrete ceiling was deemed dangerous and liable to collapse and everyone knew the problem existed in other schools. Yet the Prime Minister decided to halve the budget for school maintenance just a couple of years later. Does he agree with his Education Secretary that he should be thanked for doing a good job. (laughs) Mr Speaker, I know how concerned parents, children and teachers are, and I want to start by assuring them that the government is doing everything it can to fix this quickly and minimise the disruption to children's education. We make no apology for acting decisively in the face of new information. And let me provide the House with an update on where we are. Of the 22,000 schools in England, the vast, vast majority won't be affected. In fact, in two-thirds of inspections of suspected schools, RAC is not actually present. And to tackle the 1% of schools that have been affected so far, the 1%, we are assigning each of those schools a dedicated caseworker and providing extra funding to fix the problem. In the majority of cases, children will attend school as normal and the mitigations take typically just days or weeks to complete. We will do everything we can to help parents, support teachers and get children back to normal school life as quickly as possible. Okay, let's pause that there, uh, Tim. Um, Not a surprise that uh, Gillian Keegan's comments that nobody thanks us for doing our jobs and the vast, vast majority of schools are unaffected. But clearly, Richard Sinek trying to actually communicate some of the stuff they haven't really managed up until this week, the detail of what they're actually doing, rather than being cross that people are criticising them. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and actually, that wasn't too bad a moment for Sunak. He kind of did sound like he was on top of it. Uh, I spent most of the answer... uh, partly listening to the words, but also watching the cutaway shots to Gillian Keegan, who was sort of nodding gently and say, mouthing it's true and yes to the opposition as they were clearly barracking her across the, across the chamber. Um, you know, we know that this is a problem that's been around for a long time. They have got new information. Um, they are acting on it. Um, but really, it's, uh, it's one of those things where nobody's really had a grip on this um, uh, for a very long time. And... Um, be interesting to see how Starmer takes this on now. I mean, he's kind of, uh, you know, he got the obvious job um, out of the way early. Sunak's now done his statesman-like, um, you know, response. Doing, but yeah. he can't do that for the next five questions. Yeah. So, um, I mean, he can have a go. And, <laughs> and he probably inter- will. And it will be uh, interesting to see if he manages to sort of keep it together 
uh, or does he get ratty? This has one of those little temper tantrum yeah. moments for Sunak written all over it, it yeah, seems yeah. to me, and if he can avoid doing that, then... And uh, clearly what Keir Stone wants to do is try and needle him. Yeah. Um, and it, Rishi Sunak can be right that this is, what, 1% of schools, but 1% of schools shut... If the if the opposition can pin on pin the charge on the government, one percent of schools shut as a result of your incompetence. Yes, and it's like that's that, still a charge. It's that will like stick. that uh, tweet that the Labour Party did yesterday, where they yeah. said, you know, Mayor of Amityville says almost everybody not eaten by a shark. Yeah. You know, um, uh, the town in Jaws. Um, it's not very. It's not going to be persuasive to yeah, parents yeah. who are sending their children to school for the first time, um, like me. And actually, or also just everyone else. Even well, if you don't indeed. Have to, in fact, to some extent, it's more likely to have a negative impact on the mindset of voters who don't have children at school because it doesn't matter that they're not personally affected. They just get this idea that something's going No, and it's, it's, it's just, uh, again, uh, just an example of things crumbling and falling apart and the government appearing not to have a grip yeah. on it. Um, and it's, um, you know, so next had a couple of bits of good fortune over the last couple of weeks. The GDP figures were revised yeah. up, and you can say that's turning. Inflation was a little bit lower than they had feared it might be. Um, and it looked a little bit like the Tory narrative coming into the autumn was going to be slightly better than it was when we were last speaking, you know, back in July. But this has just blown up out of a clear blue sky and, again, is questioning, you know, the competence of the government. And don't forget, that's Sunak's yeah. calling card. The only thing he's got, frankly, in a very difficult um, environment for the economy and uh, the cost of living and 20 points behind in the polls was to try and persuade people that he yeah, was competent yeah, yeah. and that he could do the boring grind of government well. And this um, is attacking that um, narrative pretty he heavily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's go back then. Question number two in the House of Commons is Keir Starmer. Well, Mr Speaker, Wood Green Academy in Sandwell was on Labour's building list in 2010. Yeah, yeah. They scrapped it, yeah. and now children there are in a crumbling school. Exactly. The head of the National Audit Office accuses him of taking a sticking plaster approach. Yeah. The NAO report says he cut £869 million. The person who ran the Department for Education says he is personally responsible. Yeah. Jonathan Slater, who on was Monday, on... He leapt to his own defence, saying it's utterly wrong to blame him. So why does literally everyone else say it's his fault? Yeah. Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, the professional advice from the technical experts on RAG has evolved over time, and indeed it is something that successive governments have dealt with, dating back to 1994, Mr Speaker. Now, as new advice has come forward, the government has rightly, decisively and swiftly acted in the face of that advice. But he, he talked about school budgets and talked about what I had done, but let me just walk him through the facts of actually what that spending review did, because he brought it up. Well, no, he's brought it up, so presumably he would like to hear the facts. Funding for school maintenance and rebuilding will average £2.6 billion a year over this Parliament as a result of that spending review, which represents a 20% increase on the years before. Indeed, indeed, Mr Speaker, far from cutting budgets, as he alleges, the amount spent last year was the highest in a decade. That spending review, that spending review maintained, Mr Speaker, 
Mr. Speaker, that spending review maintained the school rebuilding programme, delivering 500 schools over a decade, a pace completely consistent with what had happened previously. And, Mr. Speaker, it is worth pointing out that during the parliamentary debates on that spending review, the Labour Party and him did not raise the issue of RAC one single time. So before he jumps on the next political bandwagon, he should get his facts straight. Yeah. Well, was quite ballsy again for Mrs. Sinek. Yeah, and it, you know, I mean, this is always the thing with him. If um, if you give him a chance to get into the weeds, yeah, yeah. he won't dance around it. No. Um, he'll jump straight in, yeah, yeah. burrow as deep as he can, and um, you know, throw the detail out. Um, you know, attempting there. Despite all the weed stuff, I mean, I'll be honest, I think most, you know, you can listen to that and think, yes, he's on top of it, but you can also think, I wasn't, I can't, I can't, can't, really, follow all can't really follow all that. But what, also, you, what I did get at the end of it was, you know, an attempt at a soundbite, which is back at Labour, which is this bandwagon jumping thing, which does come up about Starmer, yeah, and yeah. that's, again, one of the few lines that they've got that lands about him. So, so far, he's making a decent fist of it. Um uh, and, you know, rightly pointing out this has been around since, you know, halfway through the Blair government. But um, it does feel like a sort of systemic political failure. Um, and and when it's on his whenever watch, we have an argument about money uh, during PMQs, it will always depend on where you start and stop your Correct. your measuring. So he's just said that, you know, he talked about the biggest investment in a decade. Well, they've been in power for that entire decade. Yes. The question... From our rubbish investment before, yes, we have raised it now. Yeah. And uh, he could say that the budget was going up, but it might have been the plan that it was going to go up by more. And so they took money out of it, so it's still gone up, but it's not buying, go, go, by going yeah, up. Yeah, and then there's, that's before you throw in real terms, real terms versus, and all the rest of it. When inflation yeah. is so high. The point that Keir Starmer was making, talking about Wood Green School, pre-2010, the Labour government had a, a Building Schools for the Future programme. It's one of the biggest rows when the coalition was formed was... Michael Gove scratched the that. first thing he did, basically. Was and scrap it. it was a total mess. They didn't communicate it very well. But again, they had a list. Everyone a list. was looking at the list then, and, and the list was huge, completely wrong. The, the list was wrong. There was a huge bun fight. It was a total mess. Dominic Cummings ended up working in government as a result, which is a side issue. Uh, and the point that Keir Starmer's made is that one of those schools scrapped in 2010 was Wood Green. They've now got problems with, with RAC. And had it been rebuilt or refurbished then, it, they might not have the problem now. And so, yeah. Let's have some more arguments about who's right and who's wrong. Let's go back to the House of Commons with Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, Carmel College in Darlington was on the Labour's building list in 2010. They scrapped it and now children there are in a crumbling school. Yeah. And on the one hand, we have him saying it's nothing to do with him. Yeah. On the other side, we have the facts. And there's a simple way to clear this up. Why doesn't he commit to publish the requests from the Department of Education for the school rebuilding programme and what risks he was warned of before he turned them down? Mr Speaker, the Honourable Gentleman has now brought up twice the Labour, the Labour school rebuildings programme. He's now brought it up twice. So let's just look at that and look at the facts surrounding that. Because we do know the truth about that programme, Mr Speaker, because the NAO, as he's called on, actually reviewed that programme later on. What did they define? They found that Labour school rebuilding programme actually excluded 80% of schools. Next, what did they find? What do they find? That it was a third more expensive than it needed to be, needlessly wasting resources that have gone to schools. And Mr Speaker, and Mr Speaker, this is the worst bit. 
The worst bit is that that programme, because now he's talking about the physical condition of schools, that programme only allocated funds solely on the basis of ideology with no regard whatsoever to the physical condition of schools, Mr Speaker. That's why the Independent James Review described that programme as time-consuming and expensive, just like the Labour Party. So now we're arguing about what happened in 2010 as a a sort of distraction from... uh, yeah, well, I mean, you know, at least here? I suppose you can commend the Tories for some uh, decent sort of research work there. Um, though, if my memory serves me, that review that Sumac has just quoted at great length was commissioned by Michael Gove in order to prove that the thing was a disaster so that he could scrap it, um, which uh, may explain why it was quite so damning. Um, but yes, I mean, you know, I think Labour would have hoped... Uh, Starmer was 3-0 up at this stage, and you've got to say it's probably 3 all. Yeah. Um, interestingly, just looking at the schools that uh, Keir Starmer's choosing to highlight, so it was the one in Gravesend uh, he mentioned to begin with, because that but that was the one which had fallen down. He then chose Wood Green, which is a school in the uh, West Midlands in Wensbury. And that last one he mentioned, Carmel College, I think, is in Darlington. Could which, it be these are all marginal seats, I do, that's, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just putting it out there for people to do their own research and look into. But yeah, it's... it's Darlington certainly is. That is Darlington is definitely right. And I, that, that's another... There's a political angle to this. That in, in tightly fought uh, marginal seats, if you've got a school which has had to shut because of this, you know, it might not be making a big difference nationally, but... They'll be having a right bun fight over it between now and the election. They will, and it's a, a great opportunity for a, a good Labour candidate to uh, make a big fuss and get on the front page of the yeah, local yeah. paper. And uh, you know, thanks to Keir Starmer raising it in the House of Commons. Correct. Okay, so that was uh, question four. I wonder which could, uh, marginal seat uh, the school is going to be in in question number four. <laughs> I will. Oh, we don't want to start off with somebody leaving so early, because that's what's going to happen, Keir Starmer. Well, Mr Speaker, they want more, so let me continue. Ferry Hill School in County Durham was on Labour's building list in 2010. They scrapped it, and now children there are in a crumbling school. The truth is, this crisis is the inevitable result of 13 years of cutting corners, botched jobs, sticking plaster politics. It's the sort of thing you expect from cowboy builders saying that everyone else is wrong, everyone else is to blame, protesting they've done an effing good job, even as the ceiling falls in. The difference, Mr Speaker, is that in this case, the cowboys are running the country. Isn't he ashamed that after 13 years of Tory government, children are cowering under steel supports, stopping their classroom roof, falling in? Anymore. Just seriously, I will calm down. First session, I understand people are excited to be back at school. Lindsay, we expect better behaviour. Ticking off Tory MPs. Well, Mr Speaker, this is exactly the kind of political opportunism that we've come... Exactly the kind of opportunism that we've come to expect from Captain Hindsight over here. Before today, before today, he's never once raised this issue with me across this dispatch box. It wasn't even worthy of a single... It's the same for this side as well. Can I just say, we're going to have a calmer question times going forward. I want to hear the question, I want to hear the answer. Just like your constituents, Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, 
Before today, he never once raised this issue with me in Parliament. It wasn't even worthy of a single mention in his so-called landmark speech on education this summer. And if we'd listened to him, our kids would have been off school and locked down for longer. It's as simple as that. He talks about 13 years. Well, let's see what happened. When we, in, when we came into office, two-thirds of schools were good and outstanding. Now it's 90%, Mr Speaker. We introduced the pupil premium to get more funding to the most disadvantaged pupils, Mr Speaker. Today they are 75% more likely to go to university. And as a result of our reforms, we now have the best readers in the Western world, Mr Speaker. What 13 years of education reform gets you, all of which opposed by the party opposite. Well, there we are. Um, uh, I'll be doing my research on uh, these schools. Uh, I think uh, you're right. Basically, they are all very marginal uh, former uh, Labour seats. Uh, one is the one of which, in fact, is Sedgefield. Oh. Uh, so the. Um, one of the schools that he that he brought up, uh, I think, is in uh, Sedgefield, previously Tony Blair's seat. Correct. Held by Labour uh, for many years, taken by the Conservative Paul Howell uh, at the last election, uh, and he's now uh, got a majority of, what, four and a half thousand. Uh, and this just goes to show why Labour want to weaponise this. It is real life. It's not some technicality thing. It's not arguing over over abstracts. Real life things happening in the, exactly the sort of places they need to win seats. Yeah, uh, it's good politics. Um, some good language there. The sort of cowboys are running the country. That's a kind of um, a good broad brush um, sort of try to catch all uh, um, attack on the Tories um, and what they've presided over. Um, children cowering under steel supports is quite emotive. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, Sunak has um, got up with his Weetabix and. Uh, Boris Johnson will be sort of stirring and harumphing if he's listening to this. That uh, Sunak has used Captain Hindsight, Captain Hindsight. his preferred insult well, for, not for, had that for a long time. and also you know a reprise of the uh, Labour would still have had us in lockdown um, stuff, which uh, um, is a popular uh, Tory line. But you know the stuff at the end is is a fair reflection uh, from the Conservative point of view of what's gone right in education. Um, the buildings might be having their problems, but. You know, the Gove reforms have given us the best readers in the Western world and, and generally, overall, more schools are better than, than they were. Um, so, again, um, I think that almost was the best exchange of the lot. Um, but I think we're still in sort of score-drawery terrain. It's, it's quite... Uh, so, I've, uh, do you want to, I've, now I've done all my research. Um, uh, so, Wood Green School is in West Bromwich... Uh, West Bromwich West, uh, Labour for many years. Uh, the Tories took it at the last election. They've got 3,800 majority there. Uh, the uh, Carmel College, which Keir Starmer mentioned, Darlington, uh, was held, of course, by... Uh, um, who was the MP there? Jenny Chapman. Uh, she was the Labour MP, lost her seat, held now by the Conservatives by 3,300. Yeah. Um, and uh, Keir Starmer giving every candidate in those target seats... Some, a, a well, they're all stick. classic red wall seats they need to get back, essentially. Yeah. Well, so what, we're up to question number Five. four. Game set and match to Sunak, says Kevin. The dreary and dull approach to asking questions was completely demolished by the facts presented by Rishi. Uh, someone else in the text says, please my eye have the job of pulling the string that operates Suella Bowman's nodding head. There is quite a bit of nodding. There's quite a bit of She's got her serious face on serious, today. Serious this is, sort of, this is very grave. Government is nod. Right, let's go yeah. back to the House of Commons. We are up to question number five from Keir Starmer. 
but it claims to be a man of detail. There are 100 parliamentary questions from this side on this issue and an opposition day motion. But, Mr Speaker, let us continue. Holy Family Catholic School in Bradford was on the Labour building list in 2010. They scrapped it, and now children there too are in a crumbling school. Um, Mr Holden, I think I've heard enough. No, then, this is the last time you make your mind up. You either go no or you're quiet for the rest of it. And Mr Speaker, if you can believe it, in April this year, the Education Secretary signed a contract for refurbishment of her offices. It's got a personal stamp of approval on it. It cost, I can't quite believe this, £34 million. Can he explain to parents whose children aren't at school this week why he thinks a blank cheque for he Tory minister's office is better use of taxpayers' money than stopping schools collapsing. Well, Mr Speaker, what I'd say to parents is, in the receipt of new information, we have acted decisively to ensure the safety of children and minimise disruption to education, as we have laid out and communicated extensively. That is the right thing to do. And I would also gently point out to him, Mr Speaker, whilst the Department for Education started this process 18 months ago in spring of last year, as far as I can tell, in Labour-run Wales, they still don't know which schools are affected. Mr. Speaker. But again, he brought up this issue of funding, Mr. Speaker. And again, let's look back to what happened in that spending review. Because in that spending review, I increased the Department for Education's capital budget by 25% to a record £7 billion, Mr. Speaker. It tripled the amount that we spend on children with special education needs and disabilities. It improved the condition of the overlooked FE estate and it set the course for per pupil funding to be the highest ever. But it also, Mr. Speaker, crucially, invested five billion pounds to help our pupils recover the lost learning from COVID. Five billion pounds, Mr. Speaker, and he might remember that because he, we wanted pupils learning; he wanted longer lockdowns. But I'm your right. He's really pushing that one, isn't he? Longer lockdowns. Uh, he is, and I mean, just well, I'm sure there's much to talk about there. But just to leap on that last bit. There he is boasting about putting £5 billion into uh, recovering lost learning during COVID. Mm. You go and ask Boris Johnson how much money he wanted Rishi Sunak to put into that. They they commissioned a review. Yes, um, Kevin... Oh, Kevin something. Connor, Courtney... Cost, Ber- not Kevin uh, Costner. Anyway, yes. massive expert. You've spoilt it by getting Sorry. the name wrong now. I was Sorry. just going to gloss over the name because I couldn't quite remember it. Um... I think he wanted fourteen billion, and Rishi Sunak put in five. Sir Kevin Collins. Collins, that's yes. the fella. Big row between you know the then Prime Minister and his Chancellor, and and Sunak's now boasting about it. Anyway, an interesting little footnote. But um, yeah, I mean, the more effective part of the of the Sunak answer was yet again to turn to Wales and say, you know, they still haven't got a list of schools. They don't know what's going on, and Labour's running it. Um, you know, that has the potential to have an impact. But I think. Um, I think Starmer's finally got his nose in front with the uh, uh, with the attack on the fact that uh, um, they were quite happy to sign off thirty four million pounds for the education secretary's office um, when this is money not going to schools. And actually, there's something about sometimes these stories take off in part because of the minister at the heart of them. When when everything that Chris Grayling touched turned to the opposite, you know of goals, what? <laughs> uh, you know that, that this stuff starts to stick. And a combination of Gillian Keegan's 
attitude to it, not doing media over the weekend, but doing a weird video with music, then being caught on telly swearing, uh, and her general attitude that she's not getting the thanks that she should be getting, coupled with the fact, you know, she's got a lot of money, she wears a big watch, she's posted pictures of herself doing a charity homeless sleep out in quite an expensive looking a mosquito netted day bed in her uh, garden. Prada onesie or a whatever Prada was. Exactly. And all, you put all that together and 32 million on doing up her offices, put all that together... And that's what... You and know, she becomes what, a caricature. What do people take away from this? They take away the... You know, uh, I like Gillian Keegan. She's good fun. She's outspoken. That's what's fun about her. Um, but this is showing a degree of uh, naivety about um, how you go about uh, doing these jobs. And, you know, you can wear... Uh, an expensive wristwatch, lots of uh, members of the cabinet do. Um, but, um, yeah, spending 34 million of taxpayers' money on your own office and then making a haulics of this, yeah. that's what the public will take oh, yeah, away. Yeah, what yeah. are they talking about in the bars? You know, they're yeah. talking about collapsing schools, or maybe, yes. Yeah. But, but did you hear what she spent on her own office? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, that's uh, that's pretty damaging, isn't it? Just to update you on the stats that I've been compiling, Keeley, uh, that, that last school you mentioned, the Holy Family School in Bradford, is in the constituency of Keeley. Uh, it's got a Tory majority of 2,200. Not for long, what you would have to uh, say. Um, having previously been a Le- Labour Party held it before, it won it in 2017 with a majority of 239. Tories took it back. Uh, clearly Labour have got their uh, eye on getting it back. I wonder which marginal seat school is going to get a mention in, as we go back to the House of Commons, there's a PMQ's unpacked. Matt Jolly, Tim Shipman. Uh, let's go back to the House of Commons. It's question number six from Keir Starmer. I, don't, I think he just doesn't get how this it's all fine out there is so at odds with the lived experience of millions of working people across this country. And Mr Speaker, let's go on. This is a long list. At least, at least six schools in Essex were on Labour's building list in 2010. They scrapped them and now children there are in crumbling schools. What he won't admit is the reason he cut these budgets, ignored the warnings, is quite simple. Just like he thought his tax rises were for other families to pay, he thinks his school cuts are for other families to endure. Doesn't it tell you everything you need to know? That he's happy to spend billions of taxpayers' money sprucing up Tory offices, billions to ensure there's no VAT on Tory school fees, but he won't lift a finger when it comes to protecting other people's schools, other people's safety, other people's children. Mr Speaker, I I know he comes here with these prepared scripts, but he hasn't listened to a single fact, a single fact of six questions about the record amounts of funding going into schools, about the incredible reforms to education impacting the most disadvantaged children in our society, a record that we are rightly proud of. And yes... Of course, he can, of course we can name the schools. That's because we are reacting to information and publishing that information, Mr Speaker. So we know where the issues are. Something that we're still waiting for by the Welsh Government in Wales. But Mr Speaker, Mr. Speaker of course he wants to try and score political points of something that we are dealing with in the right and responsible way. But I do note that he has not mentioned 
a single other thing that has happened since we last met across these dispatch boxes. Oh, somebody got a pre-prepared script to make political points. He talked about families across Britain, but what's happened? Energy bills down, Mr. Speaker. What's happened to inflation? Down, Mr. Speaker. What's happened to small boat crossings? Down, Mr. Speaker. And when it comes, Mr. Speaker, and when it comes to economic growth, what's happened? It's gone up, Mr. Speaker. He tried, he tried time and time again to talk down the British economy, but people weren't listening, thankfully. His entire economic narrative has been demolished, and the Conservatives are getting on delivering for Britain. Right, point of order. I need to apologise to the people of Keithley. Uh, it's pronounced Keithley, not Keeley. Yeah. So uh, there's that. I think we should mark down Keir Starmer for using the phrase lived experience. Uh, yes, we probably should, but the point he makes, I think, is probably one of his more powerful points against uh, Sunak, which is that by sort of getting into the weeds and saying, look what we've done and this is it's all going fine, um, the Prime Minister sometimes feels a bit detached from where the yeah. public are in terms of what's going on I'm not against it as an argument. I just think you should not no. say lived experience. No. Or uh, mouthfeel or any one of those phrases. Yeah, the which... public realm is another phrase that's yeah, beginning yeah, yeah. to jar with yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard someone on this channel use it yesterday and I thought, oh. Um, yes, um... And then he tried to move on. I mean, as a surprise, he attacks Keir Starmer for turning up with his pre-prepared script to, to score political points and then read out his own pre-prepared script to score political points. Interestingly, boasts on his watch, energy bills are down, inflation is down, small boats are down, year to year on year, sort of. Blah, blah, blah. But it, <laughs> there's a reason. He, he, he wasn't claiming it was all down to him when they went up. It was, that was all down to international factors. And I just wonder whether or not the, go the public are going to give the government the credit... I, d I personally don't think any normal member of the public gives I don't, a monkey's I, don't, I don't think the, the, the I don't think the GDP. public will give them uh, credit for these things turning around, but the government's argument is always we get the blame when they go the wrong way, so we might as well try and claim the credit when it goes yeah, the yeah. other way. And, you know, more broadly, there is a sort of... It's not so much that the government gets credit, but that if things feel like they're going in the right direction, yeah. people genu generally begin to feel a bit better about stuff. Yeah. But as ever, the minutiae of these things from a political point of view is not necessarily the same as the lived experience because, yeah. you know, are energy bills down or are they just going up more slowly? You know, inflation down, brilliant. That just means prices are going up a bit slower. They're still going up. Um, and and G there's GDP being better than we thought makes no difference to a normal person's life. No, it doesn't, except that it might affect the cost of borrowing um, and um, it sort of puts a lie to the idea that we're the total um, yeah, yeah. embarrassment of the whole of the G7. Um, uh, though that is not an argument that is going to uh, win too much favour in the dog and duck. Again, it's the kind of thing that can yeah. have a sort of uh, holistic effect on the state of politics. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's sort of robust effort from... Uh, you know, I'm going to say they're both managed. That I'm not sure that Keir Starmer wrapped this up and put a bow on it in a way that he might have been able to do. No, I mean, Starmer hit the target, but Rishi Sunak saved more balls than he was expecting him to and wandered out to the penalty spot and punched him on the nose a couple of times. I mean, it... Um, uh, what's... You know, it's, is this a good week for the government? No, of course it isn't. No. But and I would say it was 6-4 at worst and... Yeah. Frankly, if you'd asked most Tory strategists this morning, they'd have taken that. Yeah, yeah. And I think most Tory MPs by the end um, were breathing a sigh of relief and indeed 
getting excitable in that confected way that they do when they think, you know, we've sort of um, uh, seen this off. So, you know, it was not... It was not, a, you know, six goals into a yeah, clean yeah, yeah. open net. And it wasn't a sort of a phrase, not a weak, 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 you lead my party, you follow your party, I leave. You know, a moment, a huge moment like this, which we think captures everything that should be the argument against the government. It's not clear that Keir Starmer quite put the lid on that. Uh, but talking of confected excitement, uh, Lara Spirits here, Times Red Box editor. She's been watching the best of the rest on the back benches so that you don't have to. Overall, Lara, the mood? Um, they were quite badly behaved today. Ooh, At one point, Richard Holden was nearly kicked out. He's, of course, actually a minister, but there was a lot of jeering. I think there always is. Maybe it's just felt slightly more rude today. It felt like Lindsay Hoyle's sort of cape. He looked very headmasterly today, didn't he? And there's this yeah, sort of, yeah, yeah. oh, dear class, you're back. And I much preferred the empty school over the summer. There was, there was that, 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 that moment when he almost it. kicked out. There was a moment where he suddenly thought, am I going to kick this government minister out? And then he sort of stepped back from it. It was like, yeah, no, I think I'll... One last chance. One last chance. If I give you one more warning. Uh, so who are we going to go for first then? I mean, obviously we're going for Stephen Flynn. Obviously. Obviously. Give the people um, what they want. His questions weren't actually his best, but I feel like it's not fair not to do Stephen Flynn, seeing as we haven't heard from him for a while. And the second one on the cost of living, I do think is important because people might have missed that Stephen Flynn actually did reshuffle his team this week. It wasn't just uh, Sakir Sama and last week Rishi Sunak who did it. So we have had a reshuffle. That reshuffle, in fact, people have said, represents the fact that Stephen Flynn, differently to Hamza Youssef, north of the border, yeah. is keen to make his Westminster operation more focused on the cost of living and less focused on constitutional issues like independence, which Youssef thinks will be the next, will be dominating the next election. So have a listen to this. Mr Speaker, you'd be forgiven for thinking that the Prime Minister thinks everything is all right. But let's look at his proposals for the winter when it comes to a cost of living package. Because when it comes to energy bills, his plan, of course, is to do nothing. When it comes to mortgage bills, his plan is to do nothing. And when it comes to food bills, his plan is to do nothing. So when the shadow... So, well, sorry, when the Secretary of State for Education said earlier this week that everyone was doing nothing, she was referring to the Prime Minister, wasn't she? Yeah. Mr Speaker, I think it's a little bit out of practice because when it comes to energy bills, what we have done is pay for around half of a typical family's energy bill over the past year. Support worth £1,500, Mr Speaker, benefiting families in Scotland. He asks about mortgages, Mr Speaker. The Chancellor's mortgage charter covers 90% of the mortgage market and ensures that a typical mortgage holder can save hundreds of pounds a month when it comes to their mortgage refinancing. And when he talked about energy, thanks to the actions of this government, we are supporting the hundreds of thousands of jobs in the Scottish oil and gas industry, securing this country's energy supply, something that he opposes. I will always do what's right for the people of Scotland, Mr Speaker, and it's time the SNP did the same. You know, it wasn't Stephen Flynn's best punchist, but uh, he basically got the same response from Rishi Sunak regardless. Yeah, and I mean, Rishi Sunak feels like this is a good week given that we had those revised uh, figures on growth mm. to be talking about the economy. I think given every other issue that he could have been asked about this week, he feels most comfortable probably on that ground. So not a great tagline. I think it's fair to say from Stephen Flynn. 
I'm afraid. Uh, very good. Uh, right, so let's move on. What was better then from the Batventures? Well, this was very interesting, um, albeit not entirely surprising, seeing as we saw her ask a question uh, to similar effect of Gillian Keegan, the Education Secretary, earlier in the week. But Dame Pretty Patel, of course, the former Home Secretary, asked probably uh, the most sticky question, I would say, that Rishi Sunak faced from his own backbenchers uh, today when she pressed Rishi Sunak on school. So have a listen to this. Because the Prime Minister is aware of how the rack issue has really affected schools in Essex. Uh, we've got a high number of schools that have been impacted, and he's rightly said today that the government's doing everything it can to get children back to school. Um, can he try to commit, and I know there's a debate later on today, to fully funding both the capital and revenue costs that are associated with getting children back into school? And I, I would hope that he would um, commit to meeting the leader of Essex County Council, because they are pioneering some great reforms right now, where they're looking to support, maintain schools, as well as a Academy trusts, and I think actually the government could get some good insights in terms of how we can get children back to school fast, and also look at the funding model for this. Can I, uh, can I first of all start by thanking my right honourable friend for the engagement constructively that she's had with the department, and indeed uh, pay tribute to her school leaders and local authority for everything that they are doing. I am happy to give her the reassurance, as the Chancellor already said, new funding will be provided to schools to deal with this issue, but also to ensure that we can get through this as quickly as possible for her constituents and parents, and indeed everyone's. DfE are in the process of increasing the number of dedicated caseworkers from 50 to 80. We have 35 project directors regionally on the ground to support, and we've increased the number of survey firms uh, by more than double, Mr Speaker, so that we can rapidly over the next few weeks fully assess all the relevant schools and have a mitigation plan in place. Stephen Kidd. This is really strange because Keir Starmer mentioned six schools in Essex, but it was reported yesterday there were 54 schools in Essex uh, with potential whack concrete, 15 of them run by Essex County Council, 39 run by Academy Trusts. Obviously, there was a lot of this concrete around in Essex in the 70s or, or whatever. And it's interesting that... Explain what the difference that Priti Patel was asking about, the difference between capital and revenue. Well, she is very keen that um, Rishi Sunak meet with Essex County Council yeah. for them to basically explain that. Yeah, right? yeah. Because he's saying he's he wasn't responsible for making these cuts. The government has, has invested a record amount. Actually, they aren't to blame. Uh, and Priti Patel very subtly, I think, given that, of course, she is a Conservative MP and she doesn't want to necessarily outwardly criticise Rishi Sunak, is basically saying other people know more than you yeah, about yeah. this issue and you need to talk and to them. And he's sort of just talking in general terms about money. And the argument has been, been over the capital money, which is... For the buildings, so if you need to knock down a building and rebuild it or fix it in some way, that's a capitalist money. But if for some of these schools, they're talking about busing children to another school, who's paying for that bus? And the schools are saying the government should pay, and the government, you know, is. It, says it's going to look at it on a case-by-case case basis. This is the sticky issue because, of course, Jeremy Hunt on the yeah. airwaves this weekend said we will we will do everything it takes, we will fund what's necessary. And actually, it seems that that's very unclear given that uh, earlier last week, but schools were told, you know, if you are making alternative arrangements and mitigations, those will come out of your your existing budgets. Um, Tim, we don't, I was thinking only yesterday, we didn't heard from Pretty Patel uh, very often. Dame Pretty Patel. Dame Pretty Patel, if you don't mind. Uh, but it's interesting, she's chosen to go on this at PMQs when clearly she's got a massive issue on her plate in her constituency. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, you know, she probably wouldn't have been thanked for going on anything else by her constituents. Yeah. Um, she did it politely, but there was a definite air of uh, the smiling steel behind there, wasn't there, um, as you've been discussing. Um, uh, surely not gently suggesting that 
someone knows more about something than Rishi Sunak. Surely not. Normally has stared at every problem until all the facts submit to his will. In fact, Labour have just put out a statement saying that they've been through the list that the Department of Education has released, and 19 of the schools which have got the reinforced autoclave there rated concrete had had building projects cancelled in 2010. So 19 schools, which were literally part of the Building Schools of the Future, cancelled by Michael Gove, they've now got the... I mean, whether or not it would have been dealt with is, you know, a separate question, but it's clearly now they've got 19 schools, potentially 19 seats where they can really hammer that that point home. Uh, Where else are we going, Laura? We're going to Craig McKinley, um, who is another Conservative MP, but uh, is raising the issue of small boats uh, and is trying to place the blame, uh, I think, quite pointedly on the door uh, of the EU. So have a listen to this uh, and make up your own minds about whether or not it might work as an attack line in the next election. Very good. I'd like to offer some assistance on the small boats issue. Has my right honourable friend considered the incongruity of uh, the fact that a a UK uh, dinghy manufacturer uh, trying to sell into the EU market would have to apply the CE marking, customs, codes uh, and the potential of being stopped and checked uh, and similar applies perversely when a simple thing like GB to NI trade. But none of this applies seemingly uh, when these huge supersized dangerous cut and shut uh, dinghies are taken in from Turkey across the EU border into Bulgaria and Greece. Is he as confused as I am by the EU's double standards on this matter? Well, my honourable friend is absolutely right that we must do all we can to stop the boats and tackle illegal migration. And we know that the export of small boats across parts of the European continent is a vital element of the smuggling gang's tactics. And that's why, specifically, we are stepping up joint operations with Turkey, Mr Speaker. And I raised this with the President when we spoke, so that we can tackle organised immigration crime and specifically disrupt the supply chain of boat parts that are used for these dangerous crossings. And I will continue to keep him updated on our progress. I didn't really understand what he was talking about there. I think what he was basically... What, what the Prime Minister was talking no, about? No, 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 what Craig McKinley was well, talking about. It's a sort of clever point that, well, we would have... In order to send a small boat to France, we would have to oh, comply with their codes. Yeah. And yet, where do all these amazing big small boats come from that don't comply with, the, don't EU. Comply with the EU? You'd think they'd... Instead of... I mean, it's, it's a sort of fatuous it's, point it's, to it's say, almost, why don't you stop the smugglers by banning their boats and saying like they're not EU the, uh, It's almost like the people smugglers aren't big adherents to health and safety uh, legislation. Yeah. And the kite mark that you but might But surely find this thinking. is a violation of the purity of the single market and ought to be, you know... Clamped yeah, down upon. Someone ought to come down on it like a ton of bricks. I mean, yeah. it's an interesting point. I suppose it allowed uh, Rishi Sunak to um, repeat what he wants to say and get, turn the focus back on some of his pledges. Yeah. Uh, have we got anyone else? We have got a final one today because we have slightly more uh, time. And this just made me think, I feel like we've had a week where everybody has been trying to ban lots of things. You see that disposable vapes are probably to be banned yeah. in. Scotland, obviously, we banned machetes last week, even though actually it's not like you were necessarily really allowed them beforehand. Laughing gas is now going to be banned from the end of the year. Uh, But here is Fly Anderson, I think, raising an interesting question about what actually constitutes a ban and when a ban means a real ban, and that's over plastic and wet wipes, which I'll admit doesn't sound hugely interesting, but just take a listen. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Every year, billions of wet wipes 
uh, go out into our rivers and oceans and clog up our sewers. Yeah. I've been campaigning on this for years to ban plastic in wet wipes, and the government has finally promised to ban plastic in wet wipes, but that was five months ago and there's been nothing since then. So will the Prime Minister today finally give a date when that ban will come into force and make a difference to our environment, or is this another broken promise from his zombie government? Speaker, in the comprehensive plan for water that was published by the Environment Secretary in April, uh, we did confirm our intention to ban wet wipes uh, containing plastic, subject, of course, as is legally proper, subject to a public consultation. That consultation will be launched uh, in the coming months in autumn of this year, and I know Ministers will keep the House updated on progress. Greg McKinley. Ban everything, Lara. Yeah. Maybe we should start with banning everything and then just agree to lift bans on a case-by-case basis. <laughs> Do you use a lot of wet wipes in your house too? Uh, we use a phenomenal amount, and I've never once put one down the loo. No, it's very, very, very bad. Very, very bad. I, I feel like I need to ask you now, Lara. Do you use a lot of wet wipes? <laughs> no, I actually don't. I don't no. think I've used a wet wipe in a really. Well, I did use Tim's one got, in the. Tim's got small children. Tim's I think he's so toweling himself. Yeah, we have some very dry ones that have been there for probably years in the Parliament office in Westminster, which occasionally are used to. The only time I've ever seen an adult use a wet wipe was at a Labour Party conference a few years ago where one of the hotels ended up with no water. And I remember a columnist for the the Daily Mirror sitting in a curry house (laughs) using wet wipes to wash himself. It's one of the most unpleasant things I've ever seen in my life. Well, on that visual image, Kevin Maguire? It was Kevin Maguire. That visual image. He was given two litres of water by the hotel <laughs> and a wet to drink and a bloot, and no. he resorted to wet wipes. And that's all we've got time for on today's episode of the podcast. Don't forget, you can get Lara Spirits PMQ's unpacked email in your inbox with your Times subscription. Just go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash red box and subscribe right now. But for now, for me, Matt Jolly, it's goodbye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.